0: Uh, someone has described Samson as this, one of the most puzzling, enigmatic, and even bizarre characters in the whole Bible. If I, if I was to ask you to think of three words you associate with Samson, I wonder what they'd be. Now, take a moment and do that. Think of three words you associate with Samson. Don't say anything out loud, okay? Three words, okay? How many people thought of hair, strength, and Delilah, or, or one of those? Okay, most people. If you've got a Bible, do you want to turn to Judges chapter 13? It would be really good if you could see a copy of God's Word this morning, because I'm not going to read all of Judges 13 in one go. We're going to kind of track the story. So if you're sitting near someone who has got a copy of the Bible and you don't, do you want to saddle up to them? Or if you have it on a device, please look it up on your device and, and have, it, have it there with you. The story of Samson spans four chapters in the book of Judges, which in itself is unusual because most of the other judges barely get one chapter each. And before we read Judges 13 together or track our way through it, let, let me explain where Samson kind of fits and where the, all the other judges fit into God's big story. Uh, God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And after kind of lots of twists and turns and ups and downs, he eventually brought them, that is the rescued, redeemed people of God, he eventually brought them to the promised land where they settled. And they were called to live as God's people. They were called to be holy because God is holy. They were called to be different. They were called to be set apart. They were called to be a blessing. They were called to be a light to the nations. And Moses had led them so far, and then Joshua had taken over as their leader. But after Joshua died, things started to disintegrate. Things started to spiral downwards. Things started to go out of control. Early in the book of Judges, we read that a generation grew up who didn't know God. A generation grew up who had no clue who God was. And in chapter 2, verse 11 of Judges, we read that this generation did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served other gods, other Baals. Basically, it got to a point where everybody just did their own thing. Everybody did what they wanted to do. And if you go to the very last, book, you don't need to do this, if you go to the very last verse of the very last chapter of Judges, that kind of pretty much captures or summarizes the whole story of Judges. In those days, here it is on the screen, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone just did their own thing. But although the people had abandoned God, God had not abandoned the people. And in the book of Judges, this cycle starts. And it's a cycle that gets repeated time and time again. Here's how it works. Here's what happened. The Israelites would sin. They would do their own thing. They would worship other gods. They would mess up. Then their enemies would bully them. Their enemies would oppress them. Their enemies would enslave them. And God let their enemies do that. It was a kind of form of judgment on the people of Israel. And then the people of Israel would get distressed. And they would cry out to God for help. Now, they didn't cry out of a sense of repentance. They just cried out of distress. They cried to God for help. And then God would save them by raising up a deliverer, a savior, a judge. And in the book of Judges, we read how God raised up 12 judges, 12 deliverers, 12 saviors. The first was Othniel, and the last in the book of Judges was Samson. There's some familiar ones in there, like Deborah and Gideon. But Samson is the last one. He gets four chapters. The question is was he a good one? Samson, a good judge. Was he the best one? Was he the most important one? That's why he gets so much written about him. Was he a flawed one or was he faithful? And so the title for this little mini-series is Flawed But Faithful? Question mark. And so let's get stuck in the Samson story and we're gonna begin at verse one of chapter 13. And as the chapter begins, we're back in this cycle. Here's what it says. Again, again, here's the repeat, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, 40 years. That is an awfully long time to be bullied and oppressed. And then in verse two, have a look at it. We're introduced to a husband and wife, Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. And I'm calling her Mrs. Manoah because we're not told her name. So that's as good as it's gonna get. So Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. And they're going to have a son. And look at verse 5. Because here's why he's coming. He is going to take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here's God at work again. Here's the cycle. But hang on a minute. Many of you know this when it comes to the story of Samson. There is something missing in the Samson cycle. There's no cry for help between verses 1 and 2 no cry for help. The people are doing evil. They're oppressed. Normally, they then cry for help, but not this time. It would seem that everyone had got to the point where they got just used with being bullied and oppressed. It was just okay to be enslaved. They'd become so accustomed to it. They didn't care. They didn't see any need for help. They didn't see any need for rescue or for relief. So, they just decided to live under oppression. And you see, the thing about sin and its consequences is that people can become so used to it that they don't realize or recognize their need for help, their need for rescue, their need for relief. And I wonder if that pretty much describes where we've got to in our world today. Because so many people are content to live with the reality of sin and its miserable consequences without turning to God for help. They don't see any need to turn to God. Well, the Israelites are there. Done evil. They're under God's judgment. They're being oppressed. But they don't even cry out for help. They just get on with it. But one of the amazing aspects about the start of Samson's story is that although God judges the people for their sins, he delivers them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And even though the people do not ask God for help, God is beginning to sort out their deliverance anyway. God is beginning to sort out their deliverance, right? He's beginning to raise another judge. And do you know what that is? That is grace. Grace. That is grace. Grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than our stupidity. And the fact is, if we as the people of God were only given God's help when we asked for it, where would we be? If we only received God's help when we actually asked for it, where would any of us be this morning? God's amazing, outrageous grace is at work in our lives even when we don't ask for it or see the need to seek it. And that is truly incredible. The Israelites were once again just doing their own thing. They're on the receiving end of God's judgment at the hands of the Philistines, but God's grace, his undeserved, his unmerited favor, that's what grace is. That was preparing deliverance for them, even though they weren't even asking for it. So let's read on. Mrs. Manoah tells her husband about this message that she has received from the man of God who looked like an angel regarding this son that they are going to have, who's going to lead the Israelites, who's going to save the Israelites from the Philistines. And then we read that Manoah prays to God and he prays to God, and he asks God, God, can I have a second, can we have a second visit from that man of God who looks like an angel? Because we want to know how we're meant to bring up our son. Manoah is kind of looking for the handbook on parenting. And just a few quick comments here, although most people had turned away from God at this time, there were clearly some exceptions. And when it says, all Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, I'm not questioning God's word by no means. But what I am saying is, here is a couple who are open to God. Here are a couple who recognized an angel-like man when they saw one. Here is a couple who pray. And here is a man who, unlike Zacharias, who whenever an angel told him his wife was going to have a kid, here is a man who accepts the message, who believes what the angel says. It would seem that there were Godly people living in another otherwise ungodly world. And as we think about Samson, as we get into his story, please do not overlook his parents. Do not miss the role that they played. Samson's mum and dad are two examples of godly people used by God who are often forgotten about. They're the kind of unsung heroes of the big story. I wonder if I was to ask you to put your hand up this morning if before this morning you would have known the names of Samson's mum and dad, how many people could have named them. They're just unsung heroes. Please don't miss the unsung heroes in God's story. And the other comment I want to make is about prayer. Manoah prays. Have a look at verse 9 because it says when Manoah prays, God hears his prayer. The God of the universe, the creator God we have been singing about this morning, the holy God we have been singing about this morning, the merciful God we have been singing about this morning, he hears the prayers of some obscure bloke from the clan of the Danites. And is there a danger that we take this fact for granted, that God hears us when we pray? Do we take that for granted? Do you know, because we mustn't. Prayer is an incredible gift. And here's how one writer has put it as he reflects on this incidental detail in the story. We will trivialize prayer whenever we forget the repeated miracle it involves. The gracious, gracious condescension of the King of glory who stoops down to listen to our verbs and our nouns and our adverbs and our questions and our groans and our tears. The God of the universe hears our prayers, our faltering prayers, our misplaced prayers at times. God hears them. And like his grace, it's amazing. And we'll go back to the story and the the angel-like man does appear again. So God has heard Manoah's prayer And the angel-like man does appear again, only he appears to Mrs. Manoah, who's out in the field. And Mrs. Manoah brings this angel-like man to meet Manoah. And Manoah asks the angel to tell him more about their son's life and his work. And the angel man simply repeats to Mr. Manoah or to Manoah what he had said to Mrs. Manoah. And Manoah then offers this visitor a meal because it seemed the appropriate thing to do. So he says, will you stay and eat a meal with us? And this angel-like man declines, but he suggests, listen, i tell you what you should do. You should prepare a burnt offering to the Lord. And then have a look at the end of verse 16, because although their visitor was an angel-like man, it says here that Manoah had not realized that this angel-like man, and this is so important, and we miss this, we miss everything. This angel-like man is in fact the angel of the Lord. This is no angel like man. This is the angel of the Lord. Come back to that. So Manoah asks him, he doesn't realize who he is. So Manoah asks him, what is your name? And the reason he asks him, what is your name is because Manoah wants to honor this man. He wants to pay tribute to this man so that when his wife does have a child and everything that he has said does come true, that they can celebrate that. And so he says, what is your name? And this angel-like man, who is in fact the angel of the Lord, but Manoah doesn't realize that yet. He says this, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. If you've got an NIV or another study Bible, you'll note beside it is beyond understanding that what it actually means is it is wonderful. That's my name. In other words, it's too much for you, Manoah, to take in. It's beyond you. It's too much for you. And so Manoah here at this point clearly senses something's up. And so rather than push this, he does what the angel-like man told him to do. He prepares a burnt offering and then something out of this world happens. Something out of this world, something totally extraordinary happens that wasn't meant to happen, that doesn't normally happen. Look at verse 20 and let's read it together. Here's what it says. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord and he said, we are doomed to die. He said to his wife, we have seen, get this, we have seen God. And so at that moment, lights come on and fear kicks in. And Manoah realizes this is no angel-like man. This was the angel of the Lord. In fact, Manoah realizes this was God. And therefore, he concludes, to you know something? We're dead. We're dead. And you might think, well, that, that, that's a bit of an irrational fear. That's a crazy response. Well, no, it's not. Because for those who've been coming on Sunday nights to Windsor, You will know from Exodus 33 how Moses discovered that a direct view of God was fatal. And so it says in Exodus 33 verse 20, this is God speaking to Moses, you're not able to see me. You're not able to see my face, Moses, for anyone who sees me will not live. And Manoah clearly knew this. Manoah clearly realized he had seen God. He had seen way too much. And so he's convinced we're dead. But they weren't. They weren't dead. And as the story says, they lived. And although we might think, or we might assume, well, Manoah clearly got that wrong. Manoah clearly didn't fully understand. The fact is, Manoah did fully understand it. Manoah got it dead right because as Dale Ralph Davis says in his commentary on this text, where did we ever get the idea that the presence of God is not dangerous? Where did we ever get the idea that the presence of God is not dangerous? It is. It is. And we have sang words this morning like we're waiting here for you. And we have invited God to come and dwell within us and with us. And at one level it should scare the life out of us. She'd scare the life out of us. God is good. But as Lucy in the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe remains as Aslan or God, he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe because he is the king you know. And reverence and fear is an entirely appropriate response to God's presence. And the minute we as a church, the minute I lose that, the minute I kind of feel sorry or even patronize the likes of Manoah for being so scared of or before God is the moment I lose perspective, I distort worship, I dilute respect, and I risk forgetting that God is totally totally wonderful and way beyond my understanding. You see, Manoah's response to God's bang on. It's bang on. And in Psalm 139, which is a favorite of lots of us, I know, the writer reflects on the greatness of God and he thinks about how God knows everything about us when we rise, when we sit. He knows every word we're gonna say before we even say it. And how does the psalmist respond whenever he discovers how much God knows? Your knowledge is to what for me? Somebody shout out. Wonderful. It's the same word here. It's the same idea here. Your knowledge, God, you, God, are too wonderful for me. You are beyond my understanding. You're too much for me to get my head around. And you know what David's response was? Who wrote that some? His response was, I'm just going to worship. What was Manoah's response? What was his wife's response? They fell on their faces and worshiped. here in Judges 13, Manoah discovers and he sees that God is wonderful and he's blown away and he fears for his life. And my prayer as I've been preparing for this morning and I was thinking about today is this, God, may we never lose a sense of just how wonderful you are, how beyond our understanding you are. To quote Psalm 2 verse 11, may we serve the Lord with fear and may we rejoice with trembling. May we serve the Lord with fear and may we rejoice with trembling. God is our Father. He is our Father in heaven. Yes, God is our friend. But He's also wonderful. And so somehow we've got to constantly maintain the balance of friendship and fear. And so Manoah doesn't die. And his wife doesn't die. And before you know it, they've got a kid. He's a dad. Look at the last two verses. Verse 24 says this The woman, because again, we don't know her name, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. So the deliverer has arrived. And then we read about his childhood, and it's brief. It really is brief. We're coming to the end of chapter 13. If you look across at verse 1 of chapter 14, you meet Moses, the grown man, or Moses, Samson, the grown man. And so we just get a really brief note about Samson's childhood. And what are we told? Look at verses 24, 25. It's on the screen. He grew. Good. And the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in those places. Do you know, it's it's not a lot we get told, but it's more than enough. It's not a lot, but it's more than enough. He grows But the two other characteristics of this kid that the writer of Judges wants us to know is this kid is blessed by God and this kid has the Spirit of God stirring in him. Blessed. Spirit of God stirring in him. It's not a bad description. It's not a bad desire for any of us. God, may we be blessed and may we have the Spirit of God stirring in us so God was clearly at work in this young boy, this young man's life, preparing him, empowering him. But what would the future hold for Samson? Well, come back next week and find out. But Judges 13, just as I finish. Judges 13 and and the structure of it and the content of it, surely it forces us, it pushes us, it encourages us to think of another deliverer another savior. Even how Samson's story begins sounds familiar, does it not? A woman is promised a son via a supernatural messenger. So much of the first chapter of his story is a birth narrative. And in terms of his childhood, we get very, very little info. Samson's introduction sounds a bit like someone else's and it's probably meant to because one day another deliverer far greater than Samson's gonna be born. He's gonna be born as he was promised to be born. He's gonna grow. He's gonna grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with man and God. He's gonna be blessed by God. He's gonna be empowered by the Spirit of God and he is gonna save his people from their sins and he is gonna save his people from the enemy, even the last great enemy of death. And so as we often say here, at Windsor, it really is all about Jesus. So Samson's story is part of our story. And next Sunday we'll see where the story takes us.